Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, the 734th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a number of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So before we delve further into the great document extravaganza of 2023, let's spend some time on the most dangerous topic in the entire world, stolen elections. Now, a few weeks ago, we got leaked video of Ruby Freeman on police body cam footage talking about alluding to election fraud that she witnessed and engaged in and talking about how she wanted to go on a live stream and tell the nation about it. And then that whole thing got shut down. You'll remember back in Georgia, in Atlanta, 
They stopped the count on election night. They said a water main broke. That wasn't true. After everyone went home, after they cleared the room, suitcases were pulled out from under the table, ballots inside. Those ballots were cast time and time again, put through the machines. And lo and behold, a whole bunch more votes for Joe Biden came in on election night after they said they stopped counting. And we were told that that had all been debunked. It was debunked by Republicans in Georgia, which meant it must be true. And that was only one of the countless problems in Georgia on election night in 2020 and on every election night they've had since. Now, you might remember in the weeks following that stolen election, an audio recording of a phone call between Donald Trump and his attorneys and Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state of Georgia and his attorney, Ryan Germany, was leaked in part to the Washington Post. And they ran with it, saying that Donald Trump was demanding that Brad Raffensperger just find enough votes to make Donald Trump the winner of Georgia. That's not exactly what happened. And the full call was released. You can listen to the full call and you will see pretty clearly that that isn't what happened. Donald Trump went through a range of various frauds that all accounted for more votes than necessary to swing Georgia to Donald Trump. And he basically said, look at all these different avenues we can go down. Just choose one. Find the number of votes you need. Choose one of these avenues because they all end up at the same place. Choose one of those and do the right thing. That's essentially what he told Brad Raffensperger. You don't have to take my word for it. You can listen to the call yourself. So Donald Trump addressed all of this in a series of Truth Social posts today. And I bring up the Ruby Freeman thing, not just to set the background here, but to focus your mind on the timing. Within one month, we have had that Ruby story come back in. It hasn't broke completely yet, but it's knocking on that protective bubble that surrounds the central narrative, and it is going to break through. And part of it breaking through is up to Donald Trump with this sort of messaging. He addressed the call with Brad Raffensperger. My phone call to the Secretary of State of Georgia and a second call, which the Marxists, communists, racists, and rhinos don't even want to talk about, were perfect calls. I don't know about the second call, by the way. Many people, including lawyers for both sides, were knowingly on the line. I was protesting a rigged and stolen election, which evidence proves it was. I won Georgia by a lot, but only needed a small number of votes from that total number. They cheated in many ways, including stuffing ballots, all caught live on tape. With many people on the line on what was a perfect call protesting the rigged Georgia election, which I have a clear right to do, and in fact, an obligation to do since I made the call as president. How come not one person said while on the call that I acted inappropriately or made a statement of protest at what I said and then slammed down the phone? Not one, even with so many opposing people, lawyers and others on the line. No admonishment at all. We nicely agreed to speak again. That was the call to Georgia. It was perfect. Nothing done or said wrong. We agreed to continue our conversation at a later date. The other call that was probably taped by them illegally was so good that when the Washington Post heard it, they did a retraction and apology because they were fed false information, perhaps by the secretary of state's office, and they were angry about it. The election in Georgia was rigged and stolen. 
We have all the evidence needed. That is the crime. Now, it's interesting that in this last part of the statement, he writes stolen with two L's again. This has been a common thing over the past few weeks. He has been adding another L to stolen. And then the Internet gets all riled up because Donald Trump made a typo. He's so stupid. Ha 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 ha. He doesn't know how to spell stolen. And meanwhile, his posts go very, very wide and everyone ends up reading them because liberals and Trump haters love more than anything to call Donald Trump stupid. And they love it so much that they will spread Donald Trump's message everywhere in order to have other people agree with them that Donald Trump is stupid. This is essentially the same thing that never Trump rhinos and Conservative Incorporated, the GOP elite establishment, the DeSantis simps. They love finding examples where Trump is stupid. Trump is weak. Trump's a narcissist. Trump's very bad. Trump is incompetent. And then they'll go wide with those, not even realizing that most of the time they're actually doing our work for us by making these things viral. People read and understand Donald Trump's message that's now in their head, and they have to reconcile that somehow. Most of them just get angry or ignore it and go further into that bubble so that they never have to be confronted with anything like this ever again. But for some people, that information sits up there and they start recognizing patterns out in the world that comport with the information that Trump has given them. And over time, they'll realize, oh, hey, maybe that Donald Trump guy isn't lying as much as all these Trump haters say he is. And knowing that that phenomenon happens over and over and over again to countless people, we're all more than happy to let the communists make fun of Donald Trump's spelling as if Donald Trump can't spell. And while we're on the subject, Seth J. Levy on Twitter, who goes by The Reckoning on there, said this morning, all of the I know how to be Donald Trump better than Donald Trump Twitter geniuses have to pretend that it was somehow a simple process to navigate from 1621 to 12423, that's today, and end up as the party frontrunner for 2024. Otherwise, they'd have to acknowledge Trump's genius. And he's right. The regime has used every tactic in its power to destroy Trump, demoralize MAGA, and make Trump Toxic to everyone in the nation. January 6th, the very violent insurrection, maybe the pinnacle of Trump hate that day. And here we are two years and a couple weeks later. And Donald Trump is not only in the front runner position for the nomination for 2024. He's controlling the Speaker of the House election. He's controlling all sorts of things. Truth be told. But I want to highlight one other part of this Trump statement. He says we have all the evidence needed. And he's right about that. Of course, they have all the evidence needed. They've had all the evidence needed for two and a half years. And him highlighting this situation in the wake of the Ruby Freeman video coming out, I think it was at the end of December, indicates to me that they're building towards something. And so I guess that remains to be seen. But let's move to Arizona. This is the Gateway Pundit from this morning. Huge. Arizona Senate presentation reveals that hundreds of failed tabulators in Maricopa County 
likely misread a quarter million ballots during 2022 election. Lake's team says more evidence to come. The newly formed Arizona Senate Elections Committee, chaired by State Senator Wendy Rogers, heard a major presentation on voter irregularities and signature verification failures in Maricopa County's 2022 midterm election. We the People Arizona Alliance co-founder and chairman Shelby Bush delivered this phenomenal presentation regarding voting machine or ballot printer failures and the potential voter fraud that occurred while verifying ballot signatures. As the Gateway Pundit reported in November 2022, Shelby Bush, We the People, Arizona Alliance, and state legislators compared and presented voter registration forms with signatures on over 100,000 2020 ballot envelopes and identified a staggering 20% error rate in signature verification. 20% error rate. Out of that 100,000, that alone is enough to change the election outcome as it's been reported. After determining that over 420,000 ballot affidavits, quote, failed signature verification in the 2020 election, based on their review of roughly 25% of 1.9 million envelopes, Bush and her team extrapolated this data. They concluded that there were a total of, quote, 290,644 failed signatures in the 2022 election. And Carrie Lake addressed this with Steve Bannon on The War Room this morning. I had testimony, I guess, from Shelby Bush and others that now looks like can be added to your court case, I guess. To get, get up to speed, just general, the overview of what happened yesterday, because I want to make sure everybody understands the fight for the governorship of Arizona is far, far, far mm-hmm. from over. Carrie Lake is the legitimate right. governor, the governor of Arizona. And we're going to we're going to win this in court. Walk through what happened yesterday, ma'am. Well, they started an election committee in the uh, Arizona Senate and led by Wendy Rogers. And she held a hearing yesterday to talk about some of the major issues. And one of the issues that uh, Shelby laid out was this problem with signature verification, mail-in ballots. The only way to secure them and make sure that they're even close to being secure is through a strict a level of signature verification. And Shelby Bush has analyzed so many documents and her team has and basically laid out that they don't have any signature verification. It's a complete joke. I'm going to look down at my numbers. And they basically looked at what happened in 2020. And in 2020, 421,000 ballots failed signature verification. And they still have that exact same system in place going into 2022, which caused a major problem. She showed all kinds of examples of blank boxes, no signatures being thrown in and counted. If you don't have a signature on the envelope, you can't count that. They showed blatant examples of problems with signature verification to the tune of hundreds of thousands of ballots that were counted that had egregious failures when it comes to signature verifications. One of the experts said with 99.999% confidence that 290,000 bad signatures were accepted in the 2022 election. Now, you add this to the 300,000 ballots that we know had no chain of custody. And then we talk about the slog files, the system log files that they got a hold of and talked about how bad those tabulators are. None of the tabulators were compliant due to all of the errors. It's just outrageous what was laid out in court. Uh, They talked about how fast they would have had to if they would have gone through and actually done signature verification. It would have required them to verify a signature, one signature every eight seconds 
working overtime. It's humanly impossible to do. Maricopa County is lying about this. And my question now, Steve, is why did the judge in our case not allow us to bring this part of the case into the trial that we had about a month ago? He denied us the ability to bring this kind of evidence in during our case. And I think because it would have blown the roof off of how bad mail-in ballots are. At this point, what is the claim? That Carrie Lake is lying? That all of the analysts are lying? That all of the lawyers are lying? None of those things can possibly be true. The evidence is overwhelming. The evidence from 2022 reflects the evidence from 2020. And so what we're dealing with is judges ignoring cases, judges changing the standard of proof in order to dismiss cases. Judges, just like doctors, are not blessed with some magical power of unshakable goodness, like they don't have the capacity to lie or make errors or be influenced from the outside. And I've discussed this principle many times in terms of people being corrupted and being compromised. They are given an offer they can't refuse. On one side, they get great reward for going along and doing as the regime asks them. On the other side, they deal with threats and punishment. Maybe someone in their family is threatened. Maybe they're threatened with the dredging up of a scandal from their past, something they thought they left behind. And people aren't willing to stand and take the downside when they know that the upside is so big. Let someone else handle it. That's the thought process. And you can see how a lot of weak-willed people who don't care much about the country could easily get there. They can just say, oh, her case was never proven. Yes, there was some compelling evidence, but not enough to overturn this election in my view. And I did what I felt I had to do. Do you think that that's the sort of thing that anyone at a dinner party is going to stand up and disagree with? They're going to put the other person on the spot and say, well, hey, didn't you just abandon your country? No one's going to say that. So these people just keep themselves in groups of people just like them, and they go on about their lives. They take the reward. They know they're not going to get in trouble. They did their job. Game over. Or so they think. Once you've made deals like that, they tend to stick with you. So we'll see how that goes. We've now dealt with this problem for 27 months. That's how long it's been since the stolen elections of 2020 and election fraud, election theft, election manipulation. This is still the most dangerous topic for conversation in America. Why is the evidence not overwhelming? The evidence is overwhelming, but the incentives and the punishment structure That is what keeps people in the bubble and they won't go outside. it. I've been talking about this fairly regularly for the entire time. But where are all the free thinking, free speaking people with big platforms in our society? Where is Joe Rogan on election fraud? I mean, we know the Daily Wire is never going to cover it. They're all obviously corrupt and compromised. Nothing could be clearer. We know the mainstream media is not going to cover it. We know the newspapers aren't going to cover it. We know that the conservative establishment and everyone trying to pin midterm losses on Donald Trump, pin the vaccines on Donald Trump, take Donald Trump out and replace him with Ron DeSantis or Mike Pence or Nikki Haley or Mike Pompeo or any of the others. Those people will never talk about it. 
Why? Because Donald Trump is the threat to the regime. Donald Trump must be removed so that the regime can move forward. Anything that helps the removal of Donald Trump to them is good and valuable. And giving up ground to Donald Trump on any of these narrative issues would be destructive for the regime. So anyone who's in that regime bubble has to obey the rules of the bubble. But this week on Joe Rogan's show, The Joe Rogan Experience, a little crack was formed in that bubble by a guy named Jimmy Corsetti. Here it is. Gary Lake supporter, bro. Yes. Um, I, I am a supporter of anyone that's an advocate for free speech, anti-censorship and freedom and my rights. I'm in Arizona. I thought I was safe. Um, I'm not getting into it, but what they did to Carrie Lake, I, don't, I shouldn't go there. But there's Arizona was the last free place or one of them because um, like Texas is debatable. Florida is pretty free. Um, South Dakota is free. But Arizona, something everyone needs to be paying attention to what happened there. Yeah, the, the the irregularities when it came to the the reports that people had w at the places where they were trying to vote is really wild. Like, I wish I knew what was true so I could actually comment on it. My What I witnessed uh, walking my dog in different neighborhoods was a lot of Cary Lake signs, and I didn't see one single one of Hobbs. Uh, and Katie Hobbs, like, her social media on Instagram had, like, 6,000 followers, on, like, literally on the election night, compared to Cary Lake's at, like, 300,000 and I'm like, you, th that means something. It doesn't necessarily prove anything, but my point is that people I was talking to, she had a huge, huge, huge following. She was doing all the debates. Katie Hobbs hid. But I know what happened. I mean, I don't have proof. What do you think happened? Are you allowed to say these things? Right? These are the things that they go what like this you to you, think? Joe. If you go, you know what I mean? This is like one of those things for you. you they, they go so like this you to you. you think there was some manipulation that led to someone else winning? Perhaps you'd have to be stupid not to conclude that if anyone that's looked into this, you would have it's an insult. It's insulting my intelligence to think that something. Let me just say it like this. I just have some questions. That's all. Well, all like, the people that were was it Maricopa County. Is yes. that the, the area where they had the most irregularities were also the most Republicans. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, Maricopa County has a lot of blue to it, too. But listen, so, Trump Lake won has there. provided no evidence to support her claims of election fraud. Oh, this is on Newsweek.com, which is totally unbiased. Yeah. Are you a Carrie Lake supporter, bro? Yes. Um, I, I am a supporter of anyone that's an advocate for free speech, anti-censorship, and freedom and my rights. Uh, and what she said, a reporter asked her, was pressing her on the 2020 election involving Donald Trump, and she said it very eloquently. She said, she asked the reporter, I'm asking you, do you really think that Joe Biden got 81 million votes? And the reporter's like, do you think so? She's like, no, I'm just asking you. Do you think he did? She's like, I have questions and so do Arizonans. And that's all I'm saying. I just have some questions. I'm allowed to ask questions. I think a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. Would a lot of people vote again? I don't think so. And I think that's why they're looking into his fucking classified documents that he got in the backseat of his Corvette. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe the Democrats think that too. They're trying to sink that dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 it seems like I mean, yeah. I don't know jack shit about politics, yep. and I'm a little suspicious Me of, their, either. of their actions. I'm like, hey, I can't even vote. So. Hey, I'm, yeah, good. I think better Atlantis, off. I now, people have thought I'm crazy for talking about Rogan, for talking about Ben Shapiro, for talking about Jordan Peterson, for talking about Scott Adams, the intellectual dark web, all of these people, because they're on our side. No, they're not. They're sort of on our side about very particular issues, mostly the uh, wokeness related issues. 
And the Daily Wire people, of course, talk about their norms and about conservative principles and about the economy. And we think, oh, yeah, sure, those things sound right. These people really sound like staunch conservatives, except for the fact that they protect the regime at every single point. They went all in or close to all in on the covid narrative, the masks, the lockdowns, all of it, mail in balloting. Oh, I guess it's okay. There's nothing we can do about it. The 2020 election. Nope, I guess it was stolen. The insurrection there on the team. No problem. Vaccines. No big deal. We'll say anything you pay us to say. And if there's stuff we need to avoid, well, that's okay because you know what? If we say these bad things, well, then we're going to lose our Spotify contract or then we're going to lose our YouTube platform. And then all of the money stops coming in. So, okay, we'll do what you say. There's incentive, huge incentive on one side, and there's punishment on the other side. It's an offer I can't refuse. So I will be more than happy to shut up and take in my $30 million or $50 million or $100 million a year. Whatever it is, I'll say the thing you want me to say. And the funny part is they could have actually avoided this situation. Joe Rogan has a massive loyal audience. If he had switched platforms three years ago, he would live totally outside of that mainstream bubble and be able to do and say whatever he wanted, have whatever guests on he wanted. And he may well be making more money than he is now. Would people have paid $5 a month or $10 a month to listen to Joe Rogan? Yeah, millions of people would have done that. I would do that to listen to a free speech Joe Rogan, where he actually had smart people on instead of people who were just complicit in regime politics and being really very wise and smart about all the nuances. And instead, we have people like Peter Zihan talking about how if Russia is really threatened, an existential threat, they will use nukes. And so the only way to prevent that is by arming Ukraine as much as they possibly need so that Ukraine can defeat Russia. Well, wait a second, globalist. If Ukraine starts to defeat Russia and poses an existential threat to Russia, that's the conditions under which Russia will go nuclear. And so your only solution is to make that happen faster. Smart. But let's focus back on Rogan. He said in there, oh, yeah, and you know, I wish I really knew the truth so I could comment on it. What? You've called Joe Biden president for the last 27 months. Is that true? What makes it so that you're allowed to say that? And of course, Joe Rogan doesn't apply that standard to anything else. Oh, I wish I knew if that was true so I could comment on it. How about I wish I knew if that was true, because if it is, my entire worldview would be mistaken in a way that actually puts myself and my family and my country in grave danger. So maybe rather than hearing the trigonometry guys tell you for three hours how they're very opposed to wokeness, you could have anyone who knows about election fraud come on and talk about it themselves. And then maybe you would be a bit closer to the truth since you've avoided it for 27 months. And you probably caught this in the audio, but when Joe Rogan goes to reference Newsweek, it's not like Joe Rogan was saying, hey, can anyone check to see whether what he's saying is true? Nope. 
producer just pops that little text block up on screen that says, Carrie Lake has presented no evidence. Well, that's not true. There is evidence throughout Carrie Lake's lawsuit that you can read for yourself. They have outside experts like Clay Parikh, who testified to that evidence in court. She has tons and tons of evidence, just like Donald Trump did, and just like so many other candidates around the country did in their lawsuits as well. And as soon as that little picture pops up, the producer, whoever puts that up there, Joe Rogan just reads it. Carrie Lake has no evidence. Hey, that's Newsweek. That's an unbiased source. Really? Newsweek is an unbiased source. You see one paragraph from an article you didn't read on Newsweek, and that's enough to prove to you that Carrie Lake, all her supporters, all her attorneys, everyone, they're all liars because Newsweek has this paragraph they wrote. And then Corsetti asks him, he poses the question as Carrie Lake has, and as I have countless times, do you think Joe Biden got 81 million real legal American votes? And Rogan says, oh, well, you know, a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. Well, yeah, no one's disputing whether a lot of people did it. It's whether 81 million people did it. Did 81 million people vote for Joe Biden while 74, 75 million voted for Donald Trump? Did the total turnout of the 2020 election raise by 20 percent while Joe Biden campaigned from his basement? And is the explanation for that all of the mail in ballots? Well, no, both of those things are so obviously preposterous, just as it was preposterous that that many people went out and voted for Katie Hobbs. Do you even know the name of the secretary of state of your state? If you do, congratulations. Good for you. Most Americans likely do not. Would you go out and vote for that secretary of state you've never heard of in the governor's election just because the other person said that the elections are stolen? While you yourself have watched elections be stolen, where does Katie Hobbs popularity come from? Corsetti mentioned she had 6,000 followers on Instagram. She didn't campaign. She didn't debate. They just posted cute pictures of her with puppies or dancing or having little parties or her outfits. She literally did a fashion video. It's like Gretchen Whitmer and Jocelyn Benson and Dana Nessel up in Michigan making their little TikToks. No one votes for that. That's just marketing. That's just telling liberals, oh, hey, this person is really nice. They're just like you in many ways. And that other person, that other person, ooh, they're an election denier. They're an insurrectionist. And they probably hate gays and black people, too. So why don't you just stick with the one who's making the TikTok video, not campaigning and not debating? That's the right choice for you. And, oh, that brings out so many people to the polls. Joe Biden literally told black people, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. And people still believe Joe Biden got 81 million votes. Jimmy Corsetti is right. It's an insult to my intelligence for you to say that and pretend you believe it. It's an insult to your own intelligence to pretend you believe that on no proof. You didn't check. If you checked, you'd know it was wrong. And you know, you sound like an idiot saying it. But no one checks. 
And so now the Joe Rogan election fraud ice has been broken. We'll see how it goes. Maybe it opens things up on the show. And hey, maybe Joe Rogan is some sort of double agent working undercover, operating the narrative perfectly. Anything is possible. And we will see. But if that ain't it, what you just heard is absolute undeniable proof that Joe Rogan is either stupid or absolutely complicit. Corsetti was afraid to even broach the subject. He was afraid to address the issue directly. Oh, you know, well, I have questions. You don't have questions. You know, the election was stolen. Just say it. But let's move to the great document extravaganza of 2023. This is Miranda Devine from Sunday in the New York Post. There's no hiding Biden's fright over classified document scandal. Joe Biden is panicking. An astonishing fifth trove of classified documents was discovered in the president's Delaware mansion Friday, not by his own lawyers at the time, but during a more thorough 13 hour search by the Department of Justice while he holed up in his beach house in Rehoboth, which ought to be next on the DOJ search list. Biden's attorney general Merrick Garland has had the audacity to appoint a special counsel to investigate Biden. His long-term trusted factotum, Ron Klain, is bailing out. And someone at the White House is throwing his trusted longtime executive assistant, Kathy Chung, under the bus. The Washington Post quoted an anonymous insider last week saying that Chung, quote, has confided to associates that she is distressed that she might have inadvertently been involved in moving or storing classified material at the center, planting the seeds of the current uproar, end quote. The fact that the loyal Chung was personally poached by Hunter Biden in 2012 to work for his father in the VP's office apparently counts for nothing when it comes to offloading blame from the president. And that is obviously what they're doing. Kathy Chung is disposable enough, so she's the new target. That's why Biden looked like a cornered rat in California last week with aspiring heir Gavin Newsom leering over his shoulder and lied through his teeth. First, he snapped at a reporter who asked about the scandal and then dismissed the question as a handful of documents were filed in the wrong place. Then he effectively issued a warning to Garland. I think you're going to find there's nothing there, he told reporters. I have no regrets. There's no there there. No there there. What a joke. The no there there defense may have worked for Biden back in the 2020 campaign when he repeatedly claimed to know nothing about his son's overseas business dealings and when the mythology of Honest Joe hadn't collapsed, but no more. Too much evidence has emerged from Hunter's laptop, from Hunter's former business partners, from the Twitter files and from FBI whistleblowers, alleging a cover-up of staggering proportions. The first tranche of at least 10 classified documents reportedly was found in the fall at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement at the University of Pennsylvania, and they were kept secret by the White House until after the midterm elections. They were dated between 2013 and 2016 and included U.S. intelligence memos and briefing materials on Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom, according to CNN. Ties to Hunter's Portfolio this is the thread that links the president to the long-running Delaware federal investigation into his son's foreign business dealings. That three-year period corresponds 
to the most frenetic influence peddling activity overseas by his son, Hunter and brother, Jim Biden, who made millions of dollars from shady interests in Ukraine, China, Russia and elsewhere. How much more valuable their product would be if they had access to classified documents? Their activity is documented in the Hunter laptop, in financial documents held by the Treasury and in testimony from Hunter's former business partner, Tony Bobolinsky, who said Joe was the big guy slated to get 10% from a particularly lucrative Chinese deal. Hunter traveled on Air Force Two with his father to do private business during that period, including to China in December 2013. He organized the infamous Cafe Milano dinner for Joe to meet his business partners from Ukraine, Russia, and Kazakhstan in April 2015. After his separation from his wife in July 2015, Hunter lived off and on at his father's Delaware mansion and listed it as his residence on official documents. He was photographed in 2017 driving his father's Corvette, which was housed in the very garage where classified documents have been found. Hunter also had free reign in his dad's White House office, and his privileged access meant his name never showed up on visitor logs. For instance, he took the infamous photo of his then best friend in business, Devin Archer, with his father in the VP's office in April 2014, shortly before the pair joined the board of the Ukrainian oil company Burisma, which paid Hunter $83,000 a month. That photo ended up briefly on the Burisma website before being taken down on the instructions of a White House lawyer. One striking email during this period stands out. It was from Hunter to Archer on April 13th, 2014 a week before Joe Biden visited Ukraine to meet then Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk and refers to, quote, my guy's upcoming travels. For Hunter, it was an uncharacteristically lengthy email listing 22 points about Ukraine's political situation with detailed information about the upcoming election and predicting an escalation of Russia's, quote, destabilization campaign which could lead to a full-scale takeover of the eastern region, most critically Donetsk. Isn't that amazing that Hunter Biden in 2014 was so prescient about what would happen starting in February of 2022? Gosh, that's amazing. A full-scale takeover of the eastern region, most critically Donetsk. Hey, that's exactly what's happened. Back to the New York Post, this is Miranda Devine quoting Hunter in that same email. The strategic value is to create a land bridge for Russia to Crimea. That won't directly affect Burisma holdings, but it will limit future Ukraine exploration and utilization of offshore opportunities in particular. It will also result in further destabilization of Ukraine nationally and for whatever government is in power. And the U.S. will respond with even stronger sanctions. Those sanctions will threaten the tenuous support of the EU, which does not have the political will to incur steep energy price increases. And again, that's exactly what we're seeing right now. In point 22, Hunter instructed Archer to buy a burner phone, presumably to keep their conversations private. Quote, buy a cell phone from a 7-Eleven or CVS tomorrow and I'll do the same. End quote. It's a prescient and very well-informed email, unlike anything else Hunter wrote in the nine years covered in the laptop, and it has the distinct flavor of an official briefing, perhaps even a classified one, and that is a great point. The four latest batches. 
The four latest tranches of classified documents were discovered in President Biden's Delaware mansion during four separate searches between December 20th and Friday. While there is no indication of the subject matter, Biden's personal attorney, Bob Bauer, issued a statement Saturday evening saying the DOJ search the previous day had discovered, quote, six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding materials, some of which were from the president's service in the Senate and some of which were from his tenure as vice president. DOJ also took for further review personally handwritten notes from the vice presidential years. Now the country faces the historic spectacle of a sitting president and former president Donald Trump, both facing special counsel investigations over alleged improper retention of classified records. Biden hasn't faced the FBI raid and leaking abuses that his predecessor endured, but it's the same crime. And in Biden's case, there is a hell of a lot of there there. If special counsel Robert Hurd does his job properly, he will be comparing notes with Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who has been investigating Hunter since 2018. Accountability is coming for Joe Biden, and no amount of dark money groups leaking false narratives to the media will save him. And she's referring there to the memo that I went through on the podcast a month or two ago from David Brock, who was essentially pitching his new organization to funders so that they would have the money to go after everyone investigating the Bidens. That was exactly what the memo said. And in case you want to get into that, that's from my episode on November 18th, 2022. It's called Disinformation Forever. And Miranda Devine is exactly right. If you've seen a number of the emails, a number of the text messages from the Biden laptop, and again, if you haven't, you can simply go to hereshunter.com which will redirect you to Marco Polo's website where you can read the report on the Biden laptop. It's all in there. But if you're familiar with how Hunter writes emails and text messages, you will know that this email sounds nothing like Hunter to the point where there's no way he could have possibly written this himself and is more likely just rewriting information that he received. There is no reason to believe that Hunter Biden is capable of this level of geopolitical understanding. Here's the email to Devin Archer. I have to go to Houston with Bo tomorrow for MD Anderson checkup. Some thoughts after doing some research and some further thoughts on organization going forward. So Hunter did some research and this is what he's presenting. One, Poroshenko appears to be the likely next president. Determining our relationships with him is important. He is credible with the West and by all accounts, a true reformer by Ukraine standards. Isn't that interesting? Because people in the Biden administration right now were responsible for overthrowing Ukraine's government and installing Poroshenko. Gosh, what a coincidence. Number two, some sort of decentralization will likely occur in the East. If it doesn't, the Russians will continue to escalate their destabilization campaign, which could lead to a full-scale takeover of the eastern region, most critically Donetsk. The strategic value is to create a land bridge for Russia to Crimea. Number three, that won't directly affect Burisma holdings, but it will limit future Ukraine exploration and utilization of offshore opportunities in particular. Four, it will also result in further destabilization of Ukraine nationally. And for whatever government is in power. And this, of course, is the part that Miranda Devine excerpted into the article we just went through. 
and the U.S. will respond with even stronger sanctions. Those sanctions will threaten the tenuous support of the EU, which does not have the political will to incur steep energy price increases. Isn't that interesting as well? Should we predict the dissolution of the EU? I think that we probably can. Hunter Biden, after all, predicted it in 2014 based on someone else's intelligence. And it looks like down the road, we may see the dissolution of NATO as well. So cheers to that. Number five, which will result in further price increases for Russia gas to Ukraine. Shocking. Six, the IMF loan guarantees will allow the Ukrainians to weather the economic impact, but the required reforms to Ukrainian public subsidies will weaken the new president. Seven, there will be enormous pressure on Burisma to lower prices for the national good. Even if the company takes a hit in profits, it would seem imprudent to raise prices in convert, I guess. I think he means concert. That must be a typo, but in concert with Russia price gouging. Number eight, Burisma has an opportunity here to play the hero if it ignores the artificial market value of their product and plays to the national interest. Nine. Kazakhstan could play a pivotal role by providing gas at rates lower than what the Russians are asking, but I doubt they would want to poke the bear. 10. The pipelines across Ukraine are the key to all of this. But if the Ukrainians shut down the pipeline, they also shut down 60% of their energy supply and put a strangle on EU supplies from Russia, which the EU will never accept because they are pussies. There's the old hunter. 11. There is no immediate supplier solution to replace Russia. If Burisma increased output from their reserves by 100%, it would, one, take at least two years, and two, Ukraine would still be about 35% short of their needed gas supplies. 12. Our guy needs to set himself up as the anti-Victor Pinchuk, coal and steel oligarch, pro-Russian Yanukovych supporter. Oh, our guy. Got it. 13. The best way to weather the storm between now and elections is to throw all in with the chocolate king. Even if he loses to Timoshenko, unlikely per polls as of today, Poroshenko is a safe ally that could help protect him from the vultures of the moment. Additionally, you, me and Alex should reconnect with the boxer and help gain his support of our guy. And is that Vitaly Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev? Yeah, it probably is. 14. And it is the moment between now and elections that he needs to weather. If he is seen as unfairly profiting from the Russia-induced price spike, things could turn against him fast. 15. The Burisma website or press releases should talk about how Burisma, as the largest independent, is committed to supplying Ukrainian industry with as much power at a fair price as possible during this crisis, with an emphasis on utilizing the best technologies and world-class team to ensure increased production and domestic delivery post-haste. 16. We can be of real value here, developing relationships, bringing U.S. expertise to the company, supplying strategic advice on politics and geopolitical risk assessment. 17. BSF, that's Boys Schiller Flexner, can actually have direct discussions at state energy and the National Security Council. 
They can devise a media plan and arrange for legal protections and mitigate U.S. domestic negative press regarding the current leadership if need be. 18. The announcement of my guy's upcoming travels should be characterized as part of our advice and thinking. But what he will say and do is out of our hands. In other words, it could be a really good thing or it could end up creating too great an expectation. We need to temper expectations regarding that visit. He's literally trying to not overpromise what his father, the vice president, is going to do. 19. We need to ask for long-term agreement and across-the-board participation. This is a huge step for us that could easily become very complicated. And if we are not protected financially, regardless of the outcome, we could find ourselves frozen out of a lot of current and future opportunities. 20. To that end, they need to know in no uncertain terms that we will not and cannot intervene directly with domestic policymakers and that we need to abide by FARA and any other U.S. laws in the strictest sense across the board. 21. The contract should begin now, not after the upcoming visit of my guy. That should include a retainer in the range of $25,000 per month with additional fees where appropriate for more in-depth work to go to Boys Schiller Flexner for our protection, completely separate from our respective deals regarding board participation. 22. Buy a cell phone from 7-Eleven or CVS tomorrow and I'll do the same. So Hunter passes all of this high-level geopolitical strategic thinking to his partner, Devin Archer, so they can prepare for their conversations with Burisma. They're setting up a deal and wielding political influence. He's passing along all this information. The expectation is that the money will begin coming in. And then when Joe Biden goes to Ukraine to complete his part of the deal, well, then they all advance forward. And Hunter and Devin Archer have their own separate deals, but this 25K has to begin coming in immediately upon the delivery of this information. This could be the break we have been waiting for if they are really smart enough to understand our long-term value. If they are looking to just use us until the storm passes, then we risked far too much for far too little. We could be invaluable in expanding their operations outside Ukraine by promoting their U.S. partnerships and expertise, whether that's China, Mexico or other parts of the Black Sea, Poland, etc. We risked far too much for far too little. Isn't that something? What are they risking? Getting this information and then handing it to the Ukrainians? Is that what he's referring to? I don't personally know, but in context, that's exactly how it sounds. Finally, we need to have a plan on how we develop a corporate entity or LLP that allows us to draw on funds generated here to free us from existing under producing current commitments and to build our own investment and expansion strategy. Maintaining the status quo is not an option. We can preserve our interest in the areas where minimal involvement is appropriate, but should not get greedy and try to keep all the balls in the air that exist today. RCP, RSTP, BHRT all make sense and can coexist and progress without our day-to-day oversight. But advisors and the BD need a transition plan. And Hunter is primarily referring to their shell companies here. 
I'm assuming that by making this move, it will require us to be traveling extensively and actually earning our keep. If that's not the case, then we will know we are being used in a way that's not appropriate. BHRT will be our only other major time commitment and realty. But from my discussions with Jimmy, I'm a little concerned that their strategy of marketing a soft commitment from BOC is not going to get the job done. We had assurances that the PRC money would come first and we would build on that. Right now, I don't see that happening. If they want us in Beijing once a month and pitching this outside PRC, we should be getting paid in advance, just like every other team member that's getting a salary. We should be hiring people like Jim Lee to work East Asia and Australia and our new third party marketer here in the States to do the heavy lifting if she is interested. We should also find someone of similar capabilities to do the same in Europe. We should also find a highly credible and discreet firm to perform due diligence and deep information for us on an ongoing basis. The kind of people that can get us information that's not available through a Google search and some phone calls. We can use our own funds to pay for it. And I'm sure your buddies down in Little Creek have some trusted independent contacts that do that sort of work. Thoughts RHB. Robert Hunter Biden. And that goes through quite a lot of it, doesn't it? Shell companies making transactions all over the world, all of these foreign governments where they are selling influence, working with nations who are America's adversaries. They are selling access to Joe Biden. They are selling access to information exactly like the information just outlined in this email. And if Miranda Devine's speculation is correct, and there's every reason to believe that it could be, we may well be seeing definitive proof that Hunter Biden, on his father's behalf, was selling classified information to our foreign adversaries for profit. What happened to our return to decency? What happened with the adults being back in the room? This is what the adults in the room do. They serve the regime. And it's funny, isn't it? That all of this was the stuff that Donald Trump was impeached over. Rudy Giuliani was investigating these shady foreign business deals. And the regime tried to put an end to that by impeaching Donald Trump. Again, they had Hunter Biden's laptop at the time that impeachment started. They had all the evidence of this exculpatory evidence. The FBI had it and no one heard a thing about it. And Donald Trump was impeached in front of the American public. And when that didn't work, COVID started. Amazing how all this just lines up, right? Oh, it's all a coincidence. Oh, it's all a conspiracy theory. And if you thought the great document extravaganza of 2023 couldn't get any greater, well, let's make great document extravaganzas great again. This is from Politico today. Mike Pence had classified documents at home, turned them over. The Justice Department has taken possession of a small number of documents with classified markings that former Vice President Mike Pence found in his Indiana residence earlier this month, according to Greg Jacob, the custodian of Pence's White House records. In a January 22nd letter to the National Archives, Jacob indicated that FBI agents came to Pence's Indiana home on the night of January 19th to retrieve documents the Vice President had located a few days earlier. 
The transfer was facilitated by the vice president's personal attorney, who has experience in handling classified documents, wrote Jacob. DOJ's effort to obtain the documents came days after Pence notified the National Archives that he had discovered them at his residence on January 16th. Jacob indicated Pence was unaware of the existence of the documents and had enlisted an outside counsel after press reports of the discovery of documents at President Joe Biden's own personal residence. The sensitivity of the newly discovered documents is unclear. In his first letter to the archives, Jacob indicated that Pence's counsel did not review them, quote, once an indicator of potential classification was identified. And the story goes on, but we don't need Politico's Kyle Cheney to tell us what's in the letter when we can just read the letter. So here's the letter from Greg Jacob. Dear Mr. Bosanko, and this is William J. Bosanko, Chief Operating Officer at the National Archives and Records Administration. Thank you for your prompt response to my letter dated January 18th, 2023, concerning the collection of certain papers containing what appeared to be classified markings found at the residence of Vice President Pence on January 16th. When we spoke at noon on January 19th, you, together with the National Archives General Counsel Gary Stern, explained to me the procedures by which the National Archives has historically taken custody of potential presidential or vice presidential records, including, most recently, those of President Biden and of former President Trump. You also explained to me the standard procedures by which the Department of Justice has thereafter requested and obtained access to such documents pursuant to the Presidential Records Act. And right there, he's indicating the Presidential Records Act, not the Federal Records Act. The Presidential Records Act is what applies to Donald Trump and his ability to declassify information. Joe Biden had no ability to declassify information as the vice president or obviously as the senator that he was before, which matters now because we know that classified documents from when he was a senator were found at Biden's properties. As you are aware, on the evening of January 19th, the Justice Department bypassed the standard procedures and requested direct possession. Well, that's interesting. Even though the vice president was in Washington, D.C. to attend the March for Life, he still immediately agreed in the interest of ensuring an expeditious collection. FBI agents came to the Indiana residence of Vice President Pence at 9.30 p.m. to collect the documents that had been secured in his safe. The transfer was facilitated by the vice president's personal attorney, who has experience in handling classified documents and who conducted the prior review on January 16th. Prior to the Department of Justice's intervention on our noon phone call on January 19th, you suggested that Vice President Pence consider voluntarily providing to the archives the two boxes in which the records had been found, as well as any other boxes containing copies of administration papers. You stated this voluntary transfer of papers would permit the archives to conduct a PRA review, that's Presidential Records Act, to ensure the boxes did not contain any original documents that could qualify as presidential records, that the archives had not already obtained through the records transmission process at the end of the administration. You assured me that all personal papers and effects of the vice president would be returned once this review is complete, subject to any legal holds that might temporarily limit their return. I promptly called you back on the afternoon of January 19th and advised you that the vice president 
had agreed to allow the archives to collect boxes at the same time that it collected the papers appearing to bear classified markings that had been placed in the vice president's safe so that the archives could conduct the recommended review. I confirmed that four boxes contained copies of administration papers. The two boxes in which a small number of papers appearing to bear classified markings had been found and two separate boxes containing courtesy copies of vice presidential papers. The vice president is, of course, permitted to obtain and retain copies of his own vice presidential records at any time. I expressed to you my expectation that the substantial majority of the documents in the four boxes would, upon examination, be found to be personal copies of other records that were previously transmitted to the archives. Following the Department of Justice's unexpected collection of the documents from the safe on the night of January 19th, I contacted you again on January 20th to reiterate the offer the vice president had made the day before to transfer the four boxes containing copies of administration papers to the archives for a PRA review. You indicated that the archives did not have the capacity to arrange for the logistics of a near-term collection in Indiana, but that the archives had determined it would be appropriate for the vice president's agents to transport the four boxes to Washington, D.C. I will personally deliver the boxes to the archives between 10 and 11 a.m. on Monday, January 23rd. That's yesterday. The boxes were sealed at the vice president's residence in Indiana following a final review by the vice president's personal attorney, during which attorney client privileged materials related to personal capacity attorneys and Article one legislative branch materials were placed in sealed and clearly labeled envelopes. All of the documents within the boxes and within the sealed envelopes remain in exact place and order in which they were discovered on January 16th. The vice president is not waiving any privileges pertaining to the clearly labeled materials. The vice president has requested that I convey his thanks to you for your responsiveness and professionalism throughout your handling of this matter. So what that letter sounds like to me is Greg Jacob laying down a record of the facts concerning this entire issue. He is making sure to set a record of the communications between the Pence team the National Archives, the DOJ, and everyone else involved. He's saying, here's what happened, here's where things stand. And you have to imagine that letters like this are important so that there is a record to refer to when the fake news gets their hands on all of this and starts doing what the fake news always does. So Mike Pence has some documents that may have classified markings even if they are declassified, as they totally could be. And now, just like with the story that we were told about Joe Biden, that happens, of course, not to be true. Mike Pence is exercising transparency. He has turned the documents over. He's following all of the proper channels. And that's where we're at right now. Now, an interesting wrinkle that may not be much, but you might see it. So, here it is. This is Mike Pence with ABC News and then, of course, the great CNN with the analysis. Take any classified documents with you from the White House? Uh, I, I did not. Um, do you see any reason for anyone to take classified documents with them leaving the White House? Well, there'd be no reason to have classified documents, particularly if they were in an unprotected area. 
Uh, well, there were classified documents, and they were in, as you report, an unprotected area. Ooh, Mike Pence is in big trouble now. Or he's not in any trouble at all. That interview was actually funny. Mike Pence being very serious. No, I would never take classified documents. There would never be a reason to take classified documents per se, and I would never have them in an unprotected area. Well, Donald Trump took declassified documents and had them in a heavily protected area. Secret Service, cameras everywhere. Those documents were extraordinarily well guarded. Mar-a-Lago is like a fortress. Joe Biden had classified documents in his garage. Joe Biden had documents at his think tank that was funded by the CCP. And it's funny because Mike Pence got asked these questions back in mid-November. The interview itself is some setup to make Donald Trump look like the bad guy. But how do those words look just two and a half months later? Do those reflect badly on Donald Trump or do those words reflect badly on Joe Biden? Donald Trump weighed in on this himself on Truth Social. He said Mike Pence is an innocent man. He never did anything knowingly dishonest in his life. Leave him alone. Well, that's fairly provocative because Donald Trump has said a lot of not so nice things about Mike Pence over the last couple of years, particularly revolving around Mike Pence's role in certifying the stolen 2020 election on January 6th, 2021. Julian's rum responded to this on Truth Social, saying Trump saying this basically guarantees they won't leave him alone. Talking about Pence, which is probably what Trump wants bait. And yeah, that's a great point. Maybe it is Donald Trump cozying up to Mike Pence right here, protecting Mike Pence, saying Mike Pence did nothing wrong. Well, that might make a whole lot of commies dig further into this Mike Pence situation, thinking that they've got him, too. Protect Joe Biden, accuse Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Now they can get them both. Oh, those ultra MAGA types, they're going to be very, very upset if we go after Trump and Pence at the same time while protecting Joe Biden. No, commies, that is something we would actually love. Go as hard after that as you possibly, possibly can. Unearth everything you can about Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Go as hard at it as possible. Create all these new principles out in the public that everyone has to defend. And then let's just see how the chips fall. Keep it going. Make a thing of it. Make it so that people begin to wonder if everyone in the executive branch has always retained classified documents. And then, guys, just keep looking. Julian's Rum also posted this very interesting. Four days after Mar-a-Lago was raided, the Obama Presidential Library sent out a press release about Obama's unclassified records being moved from the Obama Library to the National Archives in 2017. It also mentions the storage of Obama classified records at NARA. If I were a betting man, I'd say Obama also had classified docs in his library and had those moved to NARA to shelter himself. I would bet that in not too long a time, we're going to begin hearing about other people's classified records. Obama, the Clintons, the Bushes. Let's just go all the way down the line and find out who took classified material to their residence. And then let's find out what they did with that classified material. It sounds once again like my friend Kyle, just human, was right about all of this, was right about the Mar-a-Lago raid. That set a template. 
And that template is being used over and over again. And I think we might see it used frequently in the future. Everything these communists say and do ends up boomeranging around and smacking them in the face. It comes right on back to them. And all of the things that they have said, the horrible things they always say about Donald Trump and what should happen to him for breaking all these laws that none of them can prove he broke or even describe how he broke them. Well, at best, they're going to look like hypocrites. At worst, they have laid down a roadmap for exactly how the regime's key players will end up bringing themselves down. And the great document extravaganza continues. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!